Hey, grab your Bibles, John chapter 10, John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, the table's in the back, should have a blue softback Bible. That's our gift to you. Keep it, uh, read it, live in it. Um, Hey, just as you make your way there, it is hard to believe this, but Easter is right around the corner. Um, I felt like I'm still kind of like in the Christmas spirit a little bit, like Christmas Eve just happened, but Easter's right around the corner. Uh, Mark your calendars, we will be having a Good Friday service this year. Our first one, I'm super excited for. It'll be at 6.30 right here in this building, and then we'll be here Sunday morning at 9 a.m. There's gonna be more on that to come, but I just wanted to get ahead of Good Friday. We're having services here. All right, John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Today's sermon is titled, The Good Shepherd. Now, if you weren't here last week, or, or maybe you know, you're, you're like me and you're like, last week was seven days ago, so I already forgot a little bit of where we are. Let me give a little bit of context on where we find ourselves. In John chapter nine, we see Jesus heal a blind man. And the blind man uh, gets excommunicated from uh, Judaism. And so Jesus calls out the religious leaders there in the city he was in and says, you are evil and you're thieves and you're robbers and you're false shepherds because you have cast out those who I have called my own. That is not your right. That is my right. And then he says, I am the door. He is giving imagery that there is a sheepfold representing the kingdom of God. And all the sheep inside the sheepfold are the people of God. And Jesus alone is the door who invites anyone in. So if you're not a believer, man, the invitation's there. Come on in, be a part of the kingdom of God and the people of God and find what Jesus has for you. He says he is the door. And then he, all throughout that passage, and then what Scott just read for us, he says on repeat a few other times, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. But what I want to do is just kind of right out of the gates, maybe, uh, not, not confront, that's the wrong word, but talk about how we maybe view shepherds. Because I think maybe in our, our current day and age, we kind of picture, when, when I say shepherd, the image that comes to mind is maybe like a dude hanging out in the Swiss Alps, like blowing dandelions, waiting for his princess to come along. And then the sheep are just kind of frolicking in the fields and eating. But, but that's just not how shepherds operate. Okay, shepherds are strong Shepherds are ruthless in how they protect their sheep. Shepherds are resourceful. Shepherds are dirty. They have sore backs. They're covered in cuts and bruises. They have rough palms. Shepherds love their jobs and they love their sheep. And so when Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd, like I don't want us to picture like hanging out on cloud nine with our homeboy just chilling. What he is talking about is how he, as the good shepherd, views us, his sheep, and how he protects us, and he lays his life down for us, and he is dutiful towards us, and he is obligated towards us. And it's less about you and I as sheep, and it's more about our picture of who the good shepherd is. I mean, think about throughout the story of scripture, who, who are some of the shepherds, right? We have David, King David. David puts a hole in Goliath's head. Like David is not some kind of wimp. We have Abraham who was a shepherd wandering through the wilderness and through him a legacy and many nations were brought about. We have Moses who was shepherding in Midian and becomes the deliverer of God's people out of Egypt. Many of the prophets of the Old Testament, Ezekiel and Amos and Zechariah, among others, were shepherds. And when you think of those prophets, do you think of kind of like soft men? (laughs) No, no. 
You think of strong, sturdy, sharp-tongued men. You study the life of the shepherds in the Old Testament and you see men with a mission and with courage and with conviction and with resolve and with grit. And so when we're talking about the good shepherd, we are talking about Jesus and how he has a mission for us and how he protects us and how he has, he has a life of love towards us. And so what we're gonna do this morning as we journey through those verses in John chapter 10, we're gonna do a little bit of compare and contrast uh, between uh, how other people view the sheep and how Jesus, the good shepherd, views the sheep. So the first thing right out of the gates is this. The good shepherd does not steal life, but gives life. The good shepherd doesn't steal life, but he gives life. Jump back up to verse 10. I wanna connect last week to this week. John 10, 10 and 11. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, again, if you remember back to last week, the thieves and, and the robbers were the religious leaders who were stealing life from God's people. Now, how did they steal life? We talked a little bit about how they took the sacrificial system and they turned it up a notch. They took the law system and they turned it up a notch. And they said, in order to be a part of God's kingdom in the sheepfold, you had to go through a checklist of religious obligations. Their, their requirements became do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. It became all about the law abiding of God's people and just how well they could perform under the, the pressure. Which again, if we were to look at the law, we just have to read the 10 commandments, the, the very first one, and then we put our hand up and say, man, I've failed. The weight of the law is crushing on you and I. We cannot obey the law into the kingdom of God. The law is meant to expose our sin and our need for a savior. So that's where the good shepherd comes in and says, it's not about do this, don't do that. It's about done. When he cries out on the cross, it is finished. That is the good shepherd saying, I've done the work so you don't have to. The guilt of your sin paid in full on the cross. The opposition of Satan put to death on the cross. The shame you're walking in, I have forgiven you of that. The wrath of God that is due sinners, I've absolved that. And all God has stored up for you is mercy. Where the religious leaders came in to steal life from God's people, they did it through religious observance. And Jesus says, as the good shepherd, there is a gospel way, and it is the way not of performing your way into the kingdom, but just simply receiving the finished work of Christ on the cross. And he gives us life. We also, if we were to scan through scripture, we would see that Satan is called a thief. It's not just about the religious leaders. Satan is also a thief and his intent is to keep you trapped in your pride, your, your rebellion against God, where you wanna put your hand up and say, you're not God, I am. I'm gonna rule over my own life. Satan intends to tempt you and distract you and keep you trapped in your wickedness and in your sin, but he does it with little whispers of, hey, this is where the good life is. Follow the whims of your flesh and you will find fulfillment in life. But all we have on the other end of that 
is destruction. And the good shepherd again comes in and says, hey, all that sin, all that rebellion, all that disobedience, it is simply destroying you, but I've made a way through my life, death, and resurrection for you to be forgiven and freed from that and to walk in the newness of life I have purchased for you. But what does Jesus say about the life in verse 10 that he gives to us? Abundant life. Life to the full. So oftentimes we think about the life the good shepherd gives us and we just talk about, it's our get out of hell free card. Like I, I won Monopoly, right? I'm in. And it is, it's not less than that. You are saved eternally in Jesus, but there is life here and now through the finished work of Jesus. And last week, what we said the abundant life is, is an increasing awareness of God's presence in your life, right? That's what the garden in Genesis 1 is all about, right? It's not about the goodness of the trees and the streams and the beauty. That's all there. But at the end of the day, the garden is about the fullness of the presence of God. And so when we sin and we're cast out of the garden, the biggest curse is that we're removed from the presence of God. And the work of Jesus is to restore us back to a reconciled relationship with the father where the end game of all of our lives is the presence of God. And so when Jesus is talking about the abundant life, he is talking about a growing awareness of his presence, which comes with his power in our lives. And what we talked about, the, the way to get more of the presence of Jesus is through progressive sanctification, which just simply means we are growing in the image of Jesus. We are growing slowly over time to look more like Jesus and to be more holy like Jesus. So then if we think that's the abundant life and the way we get there is through growing to look like Jesus, I think maybe a third thief or a third robber that steals life from us is us. I think in our flesh, we oftentimes wander just like sheep, go astray from the shepherd, and we don't want more of his presence, and we don't want to look more like him. And all we're doing is robbing ourselves of all that he has stored up for us. And yes, this is certainly about sin. This is about agreeing with Satan and saying, man, sin is good. It's never good. But I think there's other ways in which we, we actively remove ourselves from the presence of Jesus. I think about apathy, right? We just don't care. <laughs> there are things that interest me more than being in the presence of Jesus. I think about good things in life, right? I'm, I'm not saying any of this is sinful, so don't hear that. But our hobbies, right? Our, our jobs, our relationships, our money, the way we spend our time, the way we build our calendars, all really good things that we need to steward. But oftentimes, I think about my own hobbies. Like they get in the way of me getting more of God. Because frankly, at times I'm more interested in my hobbies than I am God. Am I alone? <laughs> and I'm, yeah, yeah. Was that, who was that, Josh? Thanks, Josh. I can always count on you, buddy. I love it. I think about laziness. Like we just don't put in the effort. And, and here's the thing. Jesus has put some just very simple 
ways, habits, that we can grow in his presence. He has given us very basic habits of, hey, just get in the word. You may not know your way around it. You, You may feel confused at the end of reading your chapter in Numbers or Leviticus. Me too. But hey, there's always fruit in that. There's always fruit in disciplining yourself to get into the word of God. You might sit in prayer and then your mind's just like, okay, I gotta, I forgot, I gotta get groceries later and then we got soccer practice and I need to respond to that email and oh yeah, my boss asked for that report and you're just like, man, I'm thinking about everything but prayer right now. But there's still good discipline in habitually praying. Pray until you pray, if you know what I'm saying. I think about this, this gathering, right? Even on spring forward, right? When it was hard at 9 a.m., you guys are just like, man, that clock hit at 8.30, I don't wanna wake up, but you're here, and that's good. There's gonna be fruit from that. At the other end of us building habits of following Jesus, the fruit will come. And then we don't thieve ourselves, we don't rob ourselves of all the goodness Jesus has stored up for us. So thieves, Satan, religiosity, ourselves, we wanna steal the abundant life Jesus has for us, but Jesus comes in and says, through the gospel, through his life, death, and resurrection, we can have abundant life. First, second thing we wanna look at, for the good shepherd, your cares are his concerns. Your cares are his concerns. Now, scripturally speaking, we are sheep. And you've heard all the things about sheep, I'm sure, probably from me. You're, you're dumb, you're stinky. You have, like sheep just have very little purpose, right? They're utilitarian, here's your meat and here's your wool. Right? You've heard all of those things, right? But I think there's some things about sheep that probably we're not aware of. Maybe that sheep really do have concerns in life. They do have cares. They're not as dumb as we think they are. They wanna know, where's my next meal coming from? When darkness hits, Am I gonna be protected from wolves? They wanna know, is the voice of my shepherd trustworthy? Can I follow my shepherd? Is he faithful? They have very real concerns in following their shepherd, and so do we. You and I have very real cares and concerns in life. This is where a lot of anxiety is birthed from. The root of anxiety is asking questions like, am I gonna be okay? Is that relationship gonna work out? Are my kids gonna grow up and be good citizens, much less like good Christians, right? Let's just start with citizenship and then we'll get to to Christianity. Like worrying about those things. Is my marriage gonna last? Am I gonna be safe? What does tomorrow hold for me? These questions are all perfectly normal questions that you and I ask, and these are perfectly normal cares and concerns that we have as sheep, as fallen sheep in a fallen world where bad things happen, hard things hit. And so the prescription from the good shepherd is not wish those things away, Ignore those things. Speak positively until those things go away. The prescription from the good shepherd is follow me. Look at verses 12 through 15. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. 
I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. This is beautiful. Hired hands is an, is an easy concept for us to understand. Shepherds in the ancient world would, would go to the guys standing outside Home Depot and say, hey, I wanna hire you for a day. You can be my apprentice. And, and here's your task list. You're gonna feed the sheep. You're gonna clean the sheep. You're gonna clean up after the sheep. You're gonna help me build the sheep pen. You're gonna get all the sheep into the sheep pen. And then overnight, you're gonna help me protect the sheep. We're gonna surround it and protect these sheep. And then at the end of your day, Here's your wages. Do we agree on that? Contract sign, good. Hired hands in place. But you heard in the text, at the first sign of danger, a wolf comes, the hired hand flees. Why? Because the hired hand's life is more valuable to himself than the lives of the sheep. In other words, the cares of the hired hand are more important to him than the cares of the sheep. Why? He didn't purchase the sheep. He doesn't own the sheep. If the sheep get ravaged, he doesn't lose anything. He's still gonna get his day's wages. He's still gonna get paid, even if every sheep gets stolen and destroyed. So when a wolf comes, he's like, pay me, I'm out of here. I gotta protect myself more than I need to protect these sheep. But this is not so with the good shepherd. Your cares are his concerns at the expense of his own self-interest. You saw a word in those verses on repeat. No, 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 no. I know my sheep, they know my voice. I know the Father, he knows me. They, my sheep know the Father because they know me. Now, at a minimum, the word no is about intellectual assent. It is about some knowledge that you have. I know some things about the good shepherd, but no, scripturally speaking, goes so much deeper than that. It's about familiarity and it's about intimacy. So if we go into the Old Testament, we see that Abraham knew Sarah and out popped Isaac, right? Jacob knew Rachel and who came out? Joseph. There is an intimacy in this word, no. And so yes, it's about knowing with your head Jesus, but there's also an aspect of worshiping him, which shows itself in following him. But that's not a one-way street. It goes both ways. Jesus knows us. He knows our cares. He knows our concerns. He knows our anxieties, and he knows them with deep intimacy. And where the hired hand runs at the first sign of danger, the good shepherd stands in sturdy defense. Where the hired hand says, I'm gonna bolt because I don't own these sheep. Jesus says, you are mine and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to protect you. And what does the scripture say he does? He lays his life down for us. That's how far the good shepherd goes to protect us and provide for us. And now I want you to notice, it doesn't say my life was taken from me. He said, I lay my life down. Jesus voluntarily laid his life down for us. So if we read the New Testament, yes, in a sense, Pilate and Caesar and the Pharisees and the Jews hung Jesus from a cross. They put him on trial. They condemned him. They tortured him. They hung him from a cross. But 
They were just fulfilling the will of the Father. Jesus was not a passive victim in the crucifixion. He was an active participant in it. He voluntarily and willingly went to the cross. Why? For his sheep. He voluntarily faced crucifixion for you and I. That's how much he cares for the sheep. He wants our salvation. He wants to grant us forgiveness. He wants to give us grace. He wants to take our punishment. He who knew no sin became sin that we would become the very righteousness of Jesus. At just the right time, Jesus the good shepherd died for the ungodly sheep. At just the right time, Jesus adopted us into his family entirely of his own will and accord. That's how much he cares for us. He wants us transferred from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom. And that's just a broad, cosmic, universal reality of how much Jesus cares for us on a, on a big scope. And then we take that and we make it personal because the good shepherd we read in Luke chapter 15, he leaves the 99 to go get the one who has wandered off. This isn't just about Jesus' big universal care of the church as a whole. This is about how much he cares for each sheep individually. And when we begin to wander off, when we begin to have anxiety, when we get crippled with our own cares, he chases us down and brings us back into safety. And he says, cast your cares upon me, for I care for you. And he says, hey, give me your burden, which is heavy and exhausting and wearying, and I'll give you my burden, which is light and easy and full of rest. And he says, boldly come to the throne of grace and ask and seek and knock because I care for you. And he says, everything that you've faced, I have also faced, and I will carry you through these things. This is how much the good shepherd cares for every one of us. So anything you're facing in life is not foreign territory for Jesus, the good shepherd. He is intimately familiar with it. He knows your cares, and he has made your cares his concern. He is shouldering the burden so we don't have to. And he says, bring those to me and take what I have. So how do we do this? We give all things to God in prayer. Give all things to God in prayer, friends. He loves to hear us. This is, this is why we, we put our elders in the back at the end of service, because we want you, whatever it is, man, just bring it. Let's give it to God in prayer. Let's exchange his burden for our burden. Let's make his cares, or our cares, his concerns. I think another thing I've been thinking about lately is um, if we were to read the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, um, we're told to ask for our daily bread, right? Give me this day my daily bread, Jesus. How many of you are worried about where today's bread is coming from? I have so much bread in my fridge right now. I have so, my, kid love, my kids love carbs, like an uh, ungodly amount of carbs in my fridge. But, but how many of us truly, truly are aware of how needy we are? 
how many of us are truly aware of how desperate we are for God to provide for us on a daily basis. I think we presume upon him because our fridges and pantries are full, because the paycheck comes every two weeks, because he got the 401k, We are not on our knees every day saying, God, give to me today what I need for today. But we should be. In his grace and in his mercy, he still provides for us, even if we don't ask. But the call is be aware of your desperation. Be aware of just how needy you are and bring everything to me and watch me show off. Give me your cares. They're my concern. I'll take care of you. I am the good shepherd. Final thing, the good shepherd gives everything to us in exchange for our faith. He gives everything to us in exchange for our faith. Glance down to verse 16 with me, 16 through 18. And I, the good shepherd, have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay my life down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from the Father. I want to pan out and not miss the forest for the trees here. And I want you to see the absolute power and sovereignty and authority and supremacy of Jesus on display in those verses. Verse 16, he says, I have other sheep not of this fold. What he's talking about there are Gentiles, other nations outside of Jews that he has already adopted into his fold. And he says, I must bring them in and they will listen to my voice. That word will is not a cross my fingers and hope for the best. That word will is a promise from the good shepherd. They will hear my voice and there will, another promise, be one flock and one shepherd. Verse 17, he says, I lay my life down. Why? That I may take it up again. He has authority over death. He has authority over the grave. Not even a tomb can hold the good shepherd. He takes up his life again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me because I'm in charge of everything. In my own accord, via my own sovereign decree, I have chosen to lay my life down and take it up again. Why? That we might follow him. That we might know his voice. The good shepherd, King Jesus, owns absolutely everything. He is in charge of absolutely everything. He controls absolutely everything. He is totally sovereign, totally supreme, totally and absolutely full of authority over all things. It's not a question as to whether or not other sheep are gonna join his fold. They will. His sheep will hear his voice and respond to him. Total supremacy and total authority. Now, what does he do with this supremacy? What does he do with this sovereignty? What does the good shepherd do with this power? Lays it down for us. (laughs) He uses his power for his sheep. The voice that spoke everything into existence and sustains everything here and now is the voice that calls us to follow him. 
The power to take up his life over the death, over death and the grave is the power that he uses to redeem and restore you and I to new life in his kingdom. His sovereign will and accord to choose what to do, he has chosen from eternity past to adopt you and I into his family. Not because we chose him or not because we were qualified, but because him in his good will and his kind mercy said, you're mine, you can't do anything about it. I'm gonna chase you down. His authority over all creation, this is the authority he has used to create us and watch over us. He gives his life that we might gain everything. And what does he demand of us? Simple faith. That's it. Hear his voice all throughout John 10. Hear my voice. Follow my voice. Listen to my voice. Obey my voice. These are words of faith. Hear the call of the good shepherd and follow him. Hear the demands of the good shepherd and obediently follow him. That's it. I mean, I mean, think about, think about shepherds and sheep for a second. Um, Katie and I were just watching a documentary thing about, about Scotland and there were some sheep and, and shepherds and the hills were like rugged and the cliffs were steep and the wind was blowing and the rain I don't know if there's ever been rain like rain in Scotland before. It looks miserable. It's just gray and cold and rainy and harsh and rugged. And and here's these shepherds out there with not like a couple of sheep. There's like hundreds of sheep following their voice. But, But think for a second about just how dangerous that is. At any moment, they could slide off the side of the cliff. At any moment, a wolf could come in and snatch them. At any moment, the the bitter cold could cause them to freeze to death. So why would sheep that are clearly in danger follow their shepherd? Because he has proven himself to be faithful. That shepherd, day after day after day, has led those sheep in the highlands of Scotland to safe territory, a sheep pen where they are protected. And every day they get their meal and every day they move to the new location and every day they live on. The the shepherd has proven himself to be faithful. And in following the the good shepherd as his sheep, he calls us to obediently follow his voice. We don't know what's coming. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Everything in your life is a gamble. You realize that, right? Right, you might play fantasy football, but I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about Vegas. I am talking about everything you do has risk built into it. The job you take, the marriage you walk into, the person you're dating, the school you go to, the major you have, the relationships you choose, where you're gonna live, everything is a gamble. You don't know what's on the other side of it. You could lose your job tomorrow. I hope not. You could. Every time you get in your car, it's a gamble. Every time you get on an airplane, especially spirit, it's a gamble. (laughs) Katie and I are gonna go on a cruise in a couple of weeks. That's a gamble, man. How those things, they're so heavy and they float. That's wild. It's a gamble. Following the good shepherd is not a gamble. He has 
moment by moment, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, millennia by millennia, proven himself to be faithful to you and I. We have never been without because the good shepherd has provided for us. We have never wondered whether we're gonna have provision and protection because the good shepherd has provided for us and protected us. And so we look to tomorrow and we can choose to be full of anxiety or we can choose to say, I'm gonna follow the voice of the good shepherd in faith, trusting he has proven himself to be faithful. And he has. He has never failed you. He will never fail you. He has never forsaken you. He will never forsake you. He is not a hired hand. He is not gonna run. He bought you with his blood. He has secured you with his life and he will keep you forever. All he asks of you is faith. All he wants from you is faith. So it's the call. The call to follow the good shepherd is the call of faith where your cares become his concerns, where you look to his faithfulness and trust his voice, where you give everything to him in prayer. And when you do that, you step into the abundant life. Joy, hope, peace, his presence, his power. You get all that through the good shepherd. And so I just wanna maybe speak to a few different people listening. If you're not a believer, the good shepherd the good shepherd is committed to convicting you. Conviction might feel like it hurts because conviction, Jesus is saying you're a sinner. But conviction is actually just convincing you there's a better way. Convincing you that following him is so worth it. You can have all the things that the good shepherd promises. For the self-sufficient Christian, the one that says I've got this together, he is committed to showing you your weakness. And in 2 Corinthians, if you were just to scan that today, you would see that weakness is the way of Jesus because weakness gives Jesus the opportunity to be powerful. He already is powerful. You just have to yield your own control and, and your own, like, I don't know, ego and say, I'm weak, I need you, Jesus. I need you to step out of sin. I need you to walk in holiness. I need you to believe the truth. I need you to stop doubting. I need you to get rid of anxiety. I need you. Recognize your weakness and he will show you a better way. For the weary Christian, for the weary Christian, maybe you're just tired. Maybe the burden has been heavy. Maybe, maybe you're just, just so exhausted with just trying to go along every day he is committing, committed to protecting you. And like a good shepherd, when a sheep goes down, he doesn't leave it there to rot. Instead, he picks it up, throws it over his shoulders and says, you can't carry yourself. The good news is I'm gonna carry you. If you're weary, bring all your cares to him. He will carry you. And to the amnesic Christian, the forgetful Christian, he is committed to bringing you again to life in his presence where he wants to remind you of just how powerful and beautiful and strong and, and loving and kind that he is. He wants to awaken you to his glory. Be reminded of that this morning. The 
The good shepherd cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we do thank you that you sent the good shepherd to this world to rescue us. Of his own accord, he laid down his life that we might be saved, brought into his sheep pen, protected, cared for, given abundant life. I pray for those who are far off. Would you draw them near? Would you give them hope? Would you give them peace? Would you give them salvation? For those of us who are weary, would you strengthen us? For those of us who are self-sufficient, would you show us how weak we are? For those of us who are walking in pride, would you cut us at the knees? For those of us who are stuck in habitual sin, would you free us from that? For those of us who are wandering from the fold, would you bring us back in? For those of us who are trying to protect ourselves, would you show us you're the protector? For those of us who are walking in anxiety, would you whisper promises to us? For those of us who are not worshiping you, would you help us to awaken to your glory and beauty and to worship you and you alone? God, would you do that work this morning. We are sheep. You are the good shepherd. We are not God. You are. Would you show yourself to be that this morning? Pray that all in the name of Jesus. Amen.